Hey, everybody, I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, I invited my dear friend, Dr. Phil Richmond, to join me. And it's for a very important reason, because there were some mailbag questions that I've gotten recently about the impact that some of the challenges we face in practice are having on the team from a mental, emotional, and physical perspective. And Phil and I were chatting through. I asked him for some input on some of the challenges and we got to talking and we realized, wouldn't it be fun to do a podcast and talk about some of Phil's passion work, uh, some things that I am passionate about uh, as a practice manager, which have to do with creating systems and processes to support our teams. And we brought those two things together to bring you all an episode about um, creating psychological safety, but it goes a lot more than that. So if you're like, oh, those are fun buzzwords, I'm going to ignore this podcast. uh, Please don't because we get into the things that emotionally and psychologically impact the team that we can't take away from practice. We can't stop doing euthanasias for our patients because it's necessary at points in time. We can't stop working um, necessarily prolonged hours in surgery when an emergency patient walks in the door and it's a surgery that takes hours. There are things that we cannot avoid And that doesn't mean that there aren't things that we collectively as an industry and in particular as practices and leaders of practice can do to support our team in those situations. That's a little bit of what Phil and I get into this week. I think we had a lot of fun with this one and I'm hoping you enjoy it. Just a reminder that Synchrony shares the information on today's podcast solely for your convenience. All the statements made are the sole opinions of myself and Phil Richmond, and Synchrony makes no representations or warranties regarding the content of today's episode. And now, let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Stephanie Goss, and I am joined today by a very special guest, one of my dearest friends who happens to be a colleague, the wonderful, the kind, the amazing Dr. Phil Richmond. Uh, Phil has been with me on the podcast before. If you have not heard our uh, prior episode that we have done together, you're in for a treat because he is a wonderful human being. Phil, uh, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Stephanie. It's always a, a wonderful opportunity to share space with you. I love spending time with you, friend. Um, do you want want to, it's hard for me to imagine people in veterinary medicine who have not experienced Phil Richmond because (laughs) you are just one of those people who knows everybody. And when we go to conferences or we go places in veterinary medicine together, you're like a ping pong ball and you are bouncing around (laughs) and you know, you're just up and down saying hi to everybody. So it's hard to imagine people who have not met you, but uh, will you tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners who might not know who you are? Sure. So Phil Richmond, I'm a practicing veterinarian, so I get to get to do all the cool things that, you know, that we talk about, Um, but also the uh, founder and CEO of a consulting group called Flourishing Phoenix Veterinary Consultants. And what we do is work on psychological health and safety. Uh, We work on flourishing in the workplace, you know, workplace well-being, but on an individual team and and organizational level. And I'm also very grateful I get to work on a lot of exciting projects with a lot of cool people on a state, national and international level um, around psychological health and safety, workplace well-being, resilience, uh, those types of things in veterinary medicine. And, And of course, 
very personal to me just because those things not only uh, am I professionally uh, excited about, but they also genuinely and without being over the top helped save my life a number of years ago um, mm-hmm. and really gave me the tools to love veterinary medicine. So uh, that is it in a nutshell. I love it so much, uh, just as much as I love you. I am so glad you're here today. Uh, we are going to talk through some stuff. I, I got a handful of letters in the mailbag that had to do with um, stress for the team. And I was talking through a couple of them with you and trying to figure out like, what's the best way to tackle some of these? And as you and I do, uh, we got a little squirrely <laughs> and, our, and our conversation took an unexpected... <laughs> An unexpected path. Um, And we started talking about um, the impact that that really euthanasia, but also um, the changes to care and treatment uh, for patients, especially when it comes to um, clients not being able to afford the treatment mm-hmm. plan um, that that we're proposing for a patient, the impact of all of that on the team. And we got into some serious conversation and you and I were like, you know, this would be a really fun thing to talk through on the podcast because there's so many facets of it. And I think it's a piece that, as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, we address some pieces of it. And I think we've gotten... Um, more and more open in veterinary medicine about addressing in particular one area over the last few years. But there's still a whole lot of the conversation that I think we don't address as uh, much or as well. And I know you are doing some, uh, you have some background knowledge to share with us, but you also are doing some cool stuff around um, this, this very subject. And so when we were talking about it, we were like, hey, let's, let's do a thing. And of course, uh, because our friends are amazing at uh, Pets Best and Care Credit. We were talking with our friend Colleen and Stacy uh, and Jennifer over there, and they were like, you know, this fits right in line with a lot of the things that we are working on supporting in vet med. And we would really love for you guys to bring this topic outward on the podcast and, and really talk about it because it kind of highlights the need to talk about things like, uh, you know, financial care for clients, spectrum mm-hmm. of care from a medicine perspective, um, but also about the support and mental health and well-being of our teams, which is which is your passion project. And so it yeah. felt like a perfect storm to bring all of us together and for you and I to be able to have a conversation. So uh, I want to, you know, I want to give another shout out to our friends at Pets Best uh, Pet Health Insurance and Care Credit uh, and Syncred because we we uh, couldn't do this without them. And, and I think it's a really important topic and I'm excited to dive into it with you. Awesome. So shall we start on where where some of these events can really affect us uh, from a well-being point of view as, yeah. as team members, as veterinary professionals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's this concept called moral injury. And so moral injury was studied a number of years ago. And really, it was it was seen through the lens of war veterans, you know, okay. soldiers, soldiers that were in, in these, these situations where you could see these sometimes horrific, sometimes just things that could be traumatic Mm -hmm. that for one reason or another, we were unable to step in and change the course of what was Mm -hmm. happening and that it, it went against our, you know, our, our moral beliefs, Mm -hmm. things, things that we held, held true or that, that the soldiers and the, the people that were, were veterans. Well, well, 
what was seen is over time, and, and I think as veterinary professionals, we can really relate to this, is that, you know, we hear a ton about burnout, you know, mm-hmm. and, and burnout in veterinary medicine, uh, you know, certainly uh, considerable, you know, we, when we look at the statistics, um, burnout is, you know, a systems issue, you know, is that it's an overwhelm issue, you know, is that our, our capacity to do the thing outweighs, or the, the I'm sorry, the demands uh, that are put upon us outweigh our capacity to, to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And what they saw in human healthcare is that burnout didn't exactly 100% fit with what was, what was going on with physicians and other healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. And what they saw was that there was something else that was in play. And it's a little bit different uh, you know, in human medicine, but that same concept of I am here to I to the, I have the knowledge to do this job to serve my patients. Mm-hmm. Something outside of that, you know, between me and that patient, something outside of that is keeping me from doing that job. Mm-hmm. Now, that can be due to a number of things. Now, in human healthcare, they they talk about um, you know potentially sometimes having to ration care. Or, you know, there, there are barriers um, from a bureaucratic standpoint mm-hmm. uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, rules of the hospital or, you know, other things happen. And then certainly sure. overload is being short staffed, these types of things. And so we think about that very much from a veterinary lens and say, what, what are the similarities there? And what are, what are the things that impact us? Well, what is one of the biggest things that externally keeps us as veterinary professionals from, say, treating, wouldn't not always going through advanced veterinary care, you know, tertiary level um, care, but, sure. but, you know, what are some of the things or what's the main thing that keeps us from performing the test or performing the treatments that we mm-hmm. want to? And almost always, not always, but almost always, that's financial constraints. You know, sure. How many times have we, you know, written that in the record, um, you know, noted that in the record that you know owner declines due to financial constraints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So knowing the impact that that can have on us from a well-being and job satisfaction and and uh, position is that it it opens the door for this condition called moral injury, um, mm-hmm. which which causes this distress and you know and and professionals and, mm-hmm. and it does in veterinary professionals as well. So where I'm going with this is there's there's a concept of psychological health and safety. You know, if we so uh, Stephanie, if we're going into radiology with a patient mm-hmm. and we're going to mm-hmm. take x-rays, before I take those x-rays, I got to I have to do something to protect myself. What do you I need to do? have to use your PPE. You got to put on your gown. Right. You got to put on your gloves. Your thyroid shield and all. <laughs> yes. and why why do we do that? Because we're protecting ourselves. Because we're protecting ourselves. And we're protecting ourselves because we know that's a hazard. Right. We know that that ionizing radiation is dangerous to us. Sure. However, think about that too, is that we know that moral injury is dangerous to us as well. And so what potentially are, you know, are some of the ways, if we know that that's injurious to us as you know, as veterinary mm-hmm. professionals, mm-hmm. is what are what are some of the things that we can do to, you know, to prevent that? And one of those does go around, you know, it starts getting into this discussion of, you know, of insurance and, you know, and getting, is there is there some way to facilitate, 
that care before that emergency comes in for that patient, um, you know, that's around, it, you know, either, either pet insurance or if, you know, if they don't have access to that, then spectrum of care. You sure. Know, and, and, and again, saying that it's these deeply held moral beliefs and that we can have beliefs around spectrum of care and why that's vitally important in, you know, in veterinary medicine and in general practice. But also, is there something where, uh, so stop and I'm going to, I'm going to say another, another example. We've all been in that position where we go into a room and an emergency comes in mm-hmm. and the owner says, please do, do whatever. Um, you know, money is no object and it's a human being in pain, mm-hmm. scared, frightful for the, for the, this, this, for the pet. delightful being that they love. And there's just, I can't, I just please save that. And that's the only thought that can, that sure. can step into our mind as, as a pet owner. And then we, you know, we end up because of the nature of veterinary medicine, we then have to, you know, we need to go in and then discuss a treatment plan. Sure. And then it's, then it's saying, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have those resources. And then, you know, and then we get into, you know, potentially the client goes into threat mode, which is a normal human response that client wasn't expecting to get, you know, potentially hit sure. with that. They're potentially going to respond. That can escalate, you know, and if we don't have uh, tools of conflict resolution and being able to throttle down our response, that can obviously negative affect our well-being and then the well-being of the client. Well, or even even just the the benign response of, oh, yeah, I mean, of course, I want you to do whatever you need to do to to save my pet. But I I can't I can't pay for that. Like, what are what are my options or what are the other like, is there anything else you can do to save them that doesn't cost this? Like even without the escalation or anger or emotions that we that we see come out sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, you still have. As, as the care provider, you still have that, okay, now I have to, now I have to respond to this and I have to figure out how to help take right. care of them while at the same time taking care of the patient. And so I think yeah. that whole, you know, we've, we've done, you said a couple of things that are, that are, I think, really, really important and worth unpacking. And this is where I said, I think in veterinary medicine, we've come a long, long way right? Especially Mm -hmm. in the last few years, like I remember. um, And for those of you who can hear that I did not all of a sudden get a bunch of birds. Uh, Phil has a whole zoo at his house. (laughs) And it always makes me happy when we talk because I can hear the menagerie in the background. (laughs) It's it's the best. Um, But, uh, you know, in in veterinary medicine, we have come such a long way. Like I remember when I started, the, the tools that we had for those conversations was you just did whatever the own, like we didn't do treatment plans for everything. If an emergency walked in the door, it was like, give us the basic info. We take care of the patient. We go in the room, you have that conversation. They're like, oh, I can't pay for that. And then you have the follow-up conversation, right? So as, a, as an industry, we have grown tremendously in the sense that we recognize that that's problematic and we've taken steps to address it. And now I don't know any anyone whose clinic doesn't have a process or to your point earlier, a system to help prevent that from happening, right? So we are getting smarter in that regard. And I don't think that even though, even though clinics are more aware, we're doing things like treatment plans, we're being preventative in the sense that we start the conversation about finances, about the financial implications of taking care of a pet 
far earlier than we ever did. We're talking to puppies and kittens, uh, pet owners, uh, you know, about things like pet health insurance, about alternative payment options like care credit. Um, We're doing those things. So we are being more proactive. I think something that you and I have had the conversation about is that that is wonderful. And there's been a ton of conversation over this last probably two years about the idea of spectrum of care and that it's okay as clinicians, um, as care providers to work with a client. Like, yes, we might want plan A and we're willing to go to plan B, C, and D to discuss with the owner, like, what care can we provide with this patient? And that all is a radical shift, I feel like, that we've made in over the last 20 years that I've been in veterinary medicine. And even with all of those changes, I feel like there's not a lot of focus. I've not seen a lot of education for ourselves and for our teams of the impact that the emotional um, weight that that has, uh, has on us, right? So I have friends that work in ER And they're the only ones that I have ever seen in veterinary medicine who put a focus on the fact that euthanasia in general takes a toll on us, but also the high stress, high risk day in, day out of having those financial conversations with owners about having to talk about financial euthanasia, about having to really lean into spectrum of care in a way that a lot of times we don't fathom. I don't think in general practice, it's very different level in, in ER and 24 hour care. We don't, we don't do a whole lot to talk about that and the impact that that has on the team. And so that's part of what I love about the work that you're doing, um, which is, Hey, hi, this has a really big impact on the team. And if the only time we're talking about it is when people are so far impacted by it that they're leaving the profession, we're never going to get ahead of this. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and so going back to the, you know, the idea of protecting ourselves against, you know, Mm -hmm. ionizing radiation is that the fact is, is that we know that that situation, when veterinary professionals are put in that situation, Mm -hmm. that it opens the door for emotional distress, spiritual distress, like that, that is a, that is a hazard of the profession. So Mm -hmm. what then we say, what, what are the ways, you know, that, because the best thing to do the best, when we look at risk management in that, that regard, the best thing to do is totally remove the risk. So it's either, you know, the client has resources to be able to do that. You know, and then we, you know, we talked about insurance and, and we talked about doing it all, for, you know, doing it all for free, which is not, you know, not a, not right. an option. <laughs> not you know, an option my, if we want right. to be able to pay everybody's and, paychecks. Right. And, you know, and then getting into then spectrum. Okay. Then how do we mitigate it? You know, sure. it's how do we, how do we try to lessen it as best we can? And I want to give an example. So let me say this is that the, the group that I work for, well, I work for again, um, we had, we knew, and this was before a lot of this came, this is probably 10, 12 years ago. You know, we got, we sat down and we said, okay, there, there are certain things that certain cases that when they come in, like we know that we can, 
we can positively impact that patient if we do this one thing. You know, like if we unblock a cat, you know, first time blocked cat. Sure. And I'm not saying this goes along the lines of everyone, but realizing back then the impact that that had. And we just asked, we said, look, well, and we came up with a way to pay for it. And like, you know, I'm like, I don't care if I, you know, if I, you can take it out of whatever, just if, if can we come up with a way that the team doesn't have to make that potential decision? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that that way is for everyone, but we recognized even back then the impact and I did that it had on the team. So is what are the things proactively that we can do? And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, if we are talking about that, you know, when they're kittens before, you know, and puppies, like if they're already covered, you know, if they're already protected and they come in. And so what I would say too, is thinking about that, that emotional situation that we've all been in. And when we have a client that, you know, potentially will say, you know, do whatever money is no object. And cynically, sometimes, you know, we've heard that where it, it is, it's just that, that in that moment, I can't make that decision as a client. Right. Versus if the client says, do whatever, you know, I have pet insurance. Like that's a, and I mean, being in that, I, that was just something that really struck me, um, you know, a number of years ago when I was, I had that self-awareness of walking into that room with, with a case that I really wanted to stabilize and transfer, you Uh know, to Blue Pearl for, I mean, to, you know, to the specialty hospital, you know, to, to work with. And it was like, ah, that's now, you know, saying that's now an option. Okay. yeah. So there's two things that you just said that like yeah. light bulb for me. So one, I I love that you said that you distinguish between the feeling and the, and I don't know how many people are listening or this is going to resonate with, but I've always had this feeling um, being the being at starting having started at the front desk and being the one to be calm in an emergency. I always got sent into the exam room when we had emergency cases come in to be the client um, partner. And uh, there is this spidey sense that always goes off when a client says to me, do what, do whatever they need. Money is no object. There is a very radically distinct difference for me in hearing that versus hearing do, do whatever they need. They have, they have pet health insurance or they, or, or we have, we have, care credit do you, we have care credit do we do we need my do you need my card there there is a very big difference in that to to a veterinary professional and i will tell you like my like my body physiologically changes when i hear a client say that because those things feel different i'm i hate to say it but i i am always second guessing when they say money is no object do whatever my pet needs i'm like wonderful. I will put together a treatment plan for you and I will be right back so we can talk about it. Not that I don't believe them, but I've just experienced tells me that like to your point, a pet owner who loves this being and wants to do everything for them is saying yes. And they're saying yes from an emotional place. And they have no idea the detailed, rational medical place that we may be coming from. And so many times those are opposite ends of, of the spectrum. And so I love that you pointed that that out because that very much was my experience as a team member is like, I, I always kind of clen- my stomach clenched up and I, I felt this like mm. pit until I would go in and actually show them a treatment plan and talk through it with them and get a sense of, oh, do they, okay, yes, okay, I'm going to sign for this or not. Or not. Um, and that's not to say that that couldn't 
be alleviated because to your point earlier, pet insurance, uh, pet health insurance, care credit, alternative payments, even a traditional credit card, that's only one tool in our toolbox, right? And we know that there are other tools that we can reach for and we can talk about spectrum of care. We can talk about alternatives. We can talk about um, community support options for paying yeah. paying for care, but it still gives you that that stressful right. feeling yeah. uh, physically when you're the team member involved in those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And again, just going back to, and this is, you know, and you know, you and I have had the opportunity to to speak at conferences on crisis management and what do we do when a, you know, when a team member is in in trouble. And one mm-hmm. of the things that we talk about is having a plan, you know, before we're put into that situation. Yeah. So this is very similar to that, you know, is that again, we know that this is a this causes psychological harm, you know, to veterinary professionals. So what what are the options, you know, that we have to ameliorate, to either remove, remove the risk, remove mm-hmm. the hazard, mm-hmm. you know, which again is that the option that finances don't have to be discussed. Like that's the, you know, that, that's the, that would be the wonderful thing is then we've removed at least that, that right. particular, not saying that that completely removes moral injury, but that, right. you know, uh, that were the resource, the financial resource constraints aspect of it is is taken off the table. Right. So do we, you know, again, do we offer, do we offer pen insurance? Do we offer care credit? Do we, do we also, do we then say, hey, we, you know, the other option too is like, it, like we did at our practices in these certain situations before it happens, can we have an agreement that this will be a teaching case or this will go against my CE money or what, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like to each individual practice, mm-hmm. their, their mm-hmm. value system and what they can put together. Mm-hmm. But what, but knowing can we have something in place before we're put in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, it, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's something that we don't talk about as much, the importance of it, but it, it is, you know, it really is vitally important. And then, I mean, there are other, certainly other aspects of, you know, of moral injury. So not just focusing on, um, you know, the financial aspect in veterinary medicine, but it's, it's the one that we encounter more than, you know, they, they, sure. they just don't see that as much, um, you know, obviously in, in human medicine to that degree, the moral injury that they see is usually, uh, you know, from, for different reasons. But yeah. I, I will say too, on, on the human side, I can, I can appreciate, um, uh, the impact even, even with insurance, right. The impact that, um, that has for providers. I've been going uh, through some some health challenges myself, and have been going through the diagnostic process. And it, I, I haven't, I have insurance, but the hoops and the bureaucracy and the waiting and seeing the the toll that it takes on um, my healthcare provider. I just saw them this morning, and they were like, I could see it on her face when we were having the conversation because she knows how long I've been waiting for the next step in this process. And she knows uh, some of the physical symptoms that I've been dealing with every day. And she, she is a, such a wonderful, kind person. I was like, you sure you don't want to go to vet school? <laughs> I'm a veterinarian because you'd be great at it. Um, but 
you know, I can see the the appreciation she has for the impact that it has on me. And it has nothing to do with the, the financial piece of it, right? It has to do with taking care of this human that you care about and that you can see the, the frustration and the suffering and the, and the physical impact. It's that same uh, it's that same perspective, I feel like amplified a million times in veterinary medicine, because none of us got into it for the money, right? We all got into it because we care about the patients. And I know I've been in that room, um, when you have to have a, a hard conversation with the pet owner, because to your point, you just want to take care of the patient. And so I want to go back to what you said about creating some systems in your practice and talk about our personal experiences there because my curious, I have a question for you about how it impacted your team when you guys put that system in place. So yeah. I had a very similar experience. Um, we went through a, a horrible, horrible case where um, a patient came in on an emergency. Our practice owners weren't in the practice. We had one of our newer doctors there and, uh, there was a lot of the, there. Anyways, the pet was in significant pain and the owner was like, I can't, I can't pay for it. And the team was kind of left going, well, how do we take, like, we really want to take care of this patient. And so the response of the team that was on that day, plus the doctor was very similar to yours, which is like, if you have to take it out of my paycheck, go ahead. Like, I just want to take care of this patient. Right. So of course I was like, I'm not going to take it out of your paycheck and I'm going to have a conversation with our practice owner. So we sat down and I said, hey, the team needs a way to to deal with this. Like we need systems. And, and it brought up a bigger conversation for the team. And um, having, having worked for com- really compassionate um, practice owners, they were like, we never want a patient to suffer. If there are, there, there are always tools that we can reach for in our tool bag that yes, they cost us a little bit of money, but you can always offer a client at no charge if it's warranted, which is pain control and euthanasia. And they were like, if a client is like, I, I can't, I can't afford a euthanasia. I understand that that should be what should happen right now, but I can't afford it. We'll take care of it. Or if this patient could be dramatically improved, whether that while we're even just while we're waiting to try and get get a care credit application go through take care yeah. of the patient first and and we'll yep. do, and and the impact that that had on the team i yeah. could see on their faces the look of relief that knowing that it didn't it didn't matter right it the money wasn't the issue nobody had to go you can take it out of my paycheck ever again right like that dramatically impacted their mental health and and well-being because we live in a rural area we don't have you know a blue pearl or an emergency hospital right down right. the street so we do see a lot of cases um that they would have to go far away so it's not always just the money thing they're like i don't want to drive two hours to the to the specialty hospital or across the water to the er and so seeing the impact that that had on them was huge for me what was your experience with your team when you guys started talking about those systems and structures because i think i would have to think that it was it was similar yeah and you know so what what we definitely saw you know when i think about uh, you know, holistically and in total, what we saw with our our team is that I'll say this. You know, right right off the bat, you know what are what are some of the things that impact us that we are thinking about right now? Um, you know, in veterinary medicine, recruitment and retention. Mm-hmm. Not that this is why we did it, but I just went back to the group that I used to work for. Mm-hmm. All the technicians that I worked with, all those years, are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so. What I would say is that we know that that's 
that's important to us. And again, it's one of these things that looking, being, being real about what, what do we do? Like we are not, we're not accountants. We're not, you know, we're not electricians and we're not, you know, we don't, we don't make widgets. And I just, and I mean that not saying anything about those other professions, right? but delivering what we are trained to do has an impact on us if we can't do it. And so, you know, to give me an idea, like, and this is just this, this is our practice, you know, as our group, but, you know, we, we just had an agreement again, like we, we wouldn't, for financial reasons, we wouldn't ever put a pyometra to sleep and we wouldn't put a, you know, a black cat to sleep, or <laughs> I should say we had the option to not do that. Sure. If it wasn't, you know, it, and I, you know, that, and we also did, you know, uh, you know, payment plans where it was just, you know, it was their, sure. it was their work. And in-house, know, and yeah, yeah. In-house payment plan. And yeah. I, Stephanie, I mean, we just didn't have those people like, you know, whatever it was that they paid, you know, they, they generally speaking that they took care of it, but it was that knowledge that we weren't going to have to, that we knew that that would negatively impact the emotional and psychological health of our team. Plus it got into the meaning and purpose, obviously what we did. And there are certain things. And again, we, this was something that we just worked together as a team that we said, what are the, what are the things that we know if we do this one thing that it's going to potentially, you know, save that patient's life, we'll say. And those were two of the things that I just said, please don't ask me to do those things. And this is as, you know, and I was an older, you know, I was six, six years out, you mm-hmm. know, or something mm-hmm. when, I, when I asked for that. And for me, that was like knowing that I was able to do that. Just, it was like, you know, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't have to, you know, we were able to, to do those things and make them into teaching cases and that sort of thing. But what I would say is that that really impacted the, the team. And so what I want to also say is there's a new, new study that um, came out and I may have the description of this a little, little off, but my, our friend Josh Weisman will be writing a, writing an article um, on this for uh, today's veterinary business. But they looked at what, what had some of the most impact on people staying in a job. And essentially it was if leaders, if what, what they're, they did as far as integrity and what they said, you know, when we look mm-hmm. at values mm-hmm. is that if that was done on a daily basis, like that was always their North star when given a, a discussion that that had the biggest impact in people staying in the, in the job. Mm-hmm. And so again, mm-hmm. just that thing, like, I mean, I was at my practice for 12 years and then I came back, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I did mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, financial, you know, again, we're not, we're not in it, <laughs> you know, we're not in it for the money. Like, you know, we could, yeah. but I just love, I, I love them. I love what we do. And I know that those things, like I'm not going to give away the farm necessarily, but I, if I think something is there, I have the autonomy and the team has the autonomy to, to do it. And so everybody's situation is different. Like I, I understand, but knowing that having some say in when we're faced with these situations, that it's not just a, a line item decision that, that is made, that it's bigger than that. That's, that makes me happy. You know, like okay. you said, like, go ahead. 
I no, I want us to I want us to talk about how, so one of the things when you and I have done the what do we you know what do we do when team members are in crisis uh, yeah. one of the biggest pieces is how do we how do we get ahead of it right and we know right, that right. the best time to prevent it is before anything is before actually a, a problem yep. or before it happens and and that is the case here which is very much what we're talking about and I love uh, your your point that every practice is different right and so there is yeah. no one size fits all approach here just like anything else in veterinary medicine. And I have to, I have to call out a, a podcast that, that Andy did. So Andy did uh, an interview on the Cone of Shame podcast um, with our friend Tanasia Crocker. Uh, Dr. Crocker's mm-hmm. a, a practicing veterinarian. She's a practice owner. Yeah. Uh, and she also works uh, in emergency. She works for, for veg. And she, they did a podcast where they talked about I- intentional discounting and kind of the North Star and the philosophy that veg has mm-hmm. about, about supporting their team and their patients and their clients. Um, and I remember when the podcast came out and uh, Andy was really worried and was uh, stressed out because there was a there was a lot of people who were just like up in arms about it. And I listened to it and I was like, I love this conversation because here here is a hospital, here are t- teams who are proactively saying, how can we support our patients and our clients? And also, how can we support our people? And Tanasia talked about the impact that it had on her. If you haven't heard the podcast, you should go listen to it because it's a great episode. But she talked about the impact that it had on her as a team member and as a veterinarian and her and her support staff that she works with to know that they had the ability. Now, everybody got all up in arms about it. And my first thing to Andy was, did anybody actually listen to it? Because what she was saying wasn't that there was no system, that there was no structure, that it was a free for all and that the team could just discount anything that they wanted. She, <laughs> because it, that's not the case. The case is that they had a, they have a system and they have a structure yeah. because they sat down and made a plan for right. it. And right. they said, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to deal with it. And I said to Andy, like, I, I love this episode so much. And you and I could have had this conversation on the podcast because that's what I did in, in my practice too. And it came about as a result result of this case about halfway through my career with the with the practice owners that I was talking about previously. And I said, Hey, okay, so if we've defined this boundary, what are the other areas where we can intentionally get ahead of some of this stuff? Yeah. And so, it, you know, when, when you and I started having this conversation, we were talking about it's not just limited to when a pet owner can't pay. That's that's certainly one aspect and it impacts us on a on a daily basis, particularly our colleagues who work in specialty and ER where the bills are often multipliers of what we see in general practice and they're seeing cases mm-hmm. 24/7 so it it is uh very impactful to all of us in veterinary medicine but but especially to them but but it impacts the team in other ways too it's not just financial it's the it's the hey what about those times of year where it's a euthanasia cycle and it's a weird freaking thing that i didn't believe was actually a thing in veterinary medicine when i started and someone told me oh there's there, there's kitten season and there's euthanasia season. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And, <laughs> and I remember just thinking that was the weirdest thing ever, but it's it's true. And and looking at, okay, when euthanasia season does happen, what are we doing to take care of the team? Are we, ta- yeah. are we, are we talking about it? You know, we do, we do morbidity rounds when we have an anesthetic death in our hospital, but what are we doing when we have a rash of euthanasias? How are we checking in with the team and saying, hey, how are you all doing? How are we supporting the mental health and well-being? Because that has an Im- impact on yeah. us 
every right. whether we do one euthanasia in a day or we do 10 the reality is is that we're all in veterinary medicine for the patients and yeah. and it is a beautiful euthanasia is a beautiful part of veterinary medicine in that we can help pets pass peacefully um, mm-hmm. and without without pain and suffering. And at the same time, there is absolutely a emotional toll and impact to that. Yeah. And so things like that, where we look beyond the money conversation and start to talk about how do we create this safe space to be yeah. honest about the things that are impacting us as team members? Yeah. And then how do we go into creating systems and processes to help support that? Yeah. And there's a there's an old saying that, you know, down here, down here in the south that is, uh, you know, don't don't hit don't hit your shit on a stool that shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, is that essentially, though, I mean, not so, but you, that you and Andy know, and the southern sayings, it kills yeah, me. Yeah. But knowing that something can can cause this, you know, and, and some of those things there, there are other things. I mean, we this this can be a whole nother you know, show of things that we know that can cause us psychological harm in the workplace. And so that is one of those things, you know, is if like personally for me as a veterinarian, um, as a GP veterinarian, I, I've just, and this is me, but I've noticed for me is that if I have three or more euthanasias in a day, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's because again, I mean, I'm not in a hospice right. situation right. where, you know, I'm go, go, go. And then having to, you know, sh- you know, shut down, re- you know, right. kind of, you know, compartmentalize and and do that is I, I feel it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes I can, sometimes I'm all right. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, y'all, like I, I am just like, I got to throttle down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like my, my capacity, and this is where, you know, some of the burnout comes. my capacity, my emotional capacity, you know, goes down. And it's like, I, being able to honor that is, you know, is important, but those are those are those things like what what do we know in the workplace that can you know cause cause those harms and and again going back to one of those one of the things obviously that can cause harm is conflict violence you know these types of things mm-hmm. in the workplace and so I, I genuinely look at the financial stuff as like what are what are some of the ways that you know we can ameliorate or or mitigate those things so that something is already in place and. And I just go back to, you know, yes, it's a, it's a feeling, but knowing when a, you know, when a client says, do whatever, like I have pet insurance, mm-hmm. you know, is mm-hmm. that knowing how I felt with that, it was like, wow, that's just a fundamentally different situation than I was girding myself up, you know, for, you sure. know, if, yeah. and, and so, and then again, also on that line is, is knowing that that's a, you know, conflict. I mean, we can go into a whole thing on conflict, but you know, the financial thing is that do, what what things do we have in place to minimize the, you know, the stresses and the and the risk to, uh, you know, our team members. But I mean, also, obviously, then our, our patients are going to get care. But what what are the things that we can do before that's an issue, um, you know, that we say, OK, we know this is something and let's be intentional about decreasing those harms because when we do that, it, it it's it's less, you know, it's less that gets taken out of our battery, you know, every day. So yeah. I think 
I think you just uh, moved us into kind of the, you know, anybody who listens to the podcast knows Andy and I usually talk about the headspace, which you and I covered early on here. Mm -hmm. And this moves us really nicely into kind of the action pieces, because the first question, like when you and I did our conversation about crisis and we both shared, you know, why it was important to us and uh, some of the some of the study information, statistical information. And the first hand that was raised in the audience and the question that we get is like, but but how do we deal with it? Yeah. And and where do and where do we even start? And I think you just hit on the t- the two answers. And it's not it's not some people are like that seems so overly simple that can't be the answer. <laughs> and I think that it, I think that it really is. And the first question we have to ask is what are the things? What are the yeah. circumstances? Right. What are the situations? What are the things? in our jobs in in veterinary medicine but really any place of employment that are causing us stress anxiety uh, emotional distress yeah. uh you know put our bodies into into fight or flight mode do you the look looking specifically at those situations so we have to identify yeah. the situation right do you have any um tools or resources or suggestions for practices in terms of like how to audit that with a team other oh, than just yes. asking <laughs> other than just asking them yeah. hey make let's make a list like let's i mean right, that's literally right. where i started was like hey guys let's and i literally got a giant post-it board and put yeah. it on the wall and said what are the things that stress us out the most and we got you know the the euthanasias right. and we got the the money conversations yeah. but like where can teams start with assessing that piece yeah so cool, you know, kind of cool thing. So I'm actually working on on this with uh, with an awesome group of uh, of peeps where we're we're creating psychological health and safety standards for, uh, you know, for for veterinary medicine, which answers exactly that. Think of it as OSHA for the brain, you know, is the things the things that we know that cause cause us emotional and psychological harm. You know, is it that we don't have autonomy in our job? Is it that we, we're not clear on what our job is? Is it that sometimes our, our workplace isn't fair? Um, you know, are we getting enough reward and recognition, you know, uh, you know, equally for what we do? And then, you know, a- am I isolated at work? Like, am I always, you know, if I, especially if I'm working remote, you know, if I'm a remote CSR or something like sure. that, I have to, you know, am I having connection there? And then some of these other things, you know, certainly conflict, um, you know, workplace relationships are important, supervisor support. So all of these things are are vitally important to all workplaces. And what I'll say is almost every country other than the U.S., um, and, and I shouldn't say that because like, the Surgeon General just came out with uh, some great workplace uh, well-being <laughs> strategies, but the U.S. is probably about 10 years behind um, other countries as far as psychological health and safety. Not um, shocking work, in the slightest. Yeah, I, I am excited. I, so I, I partnered with a group called the Wellbeing Lab um, in Australia. Australia, again, they're 10 to 15 years ahead of us right. um, as far as that. And they measure those things. And there's also, if you're in HR, there's the ISO 45003. Um, those are the international psychological health and safety standards. Um, Canada, so I'm certified in the Canadian standard. They have 13 um, healthcare uh, providers or healthcare organizations have 15 standards. So you can look up the Canadian standards, but mm-hmm. it gives you an idea initially of where to look. Um, and it's just, again, the, f- the first thing is just awareness and curiosity, you know, is that we really haven't been in a veterinary workplace 
we're not, you know, we, we sometimes we focus on so much of, uh, you know, self-care and individual care. Right. But we've got to yes. be looking at, at the team yes. level, the things right. that happen to us, you know, and our leaders. And then also organizationally, what are we doing? Like, you know, workload and, you know, and po- in harassment policies and bullying policies and all these things are, you know, and EAPs are all these things in place. So very much the overall thing is preventing harm. Where can we prevent harm? And then where can we also promote flourishing? So and hopefully that in a short period of time gave you what yeah, you Yeah, no, 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 for. I love that. And yeah. so I so I think I think the answer is that it starts with asking the question, right? And it could be as simple as, I mean, don't get me wrong, I ner- I love to nerd out. And so yeah. like by all means, especially if you are a practice manager listening, do do your research, do your homework. And like you said, Phil, um, we can drop some of some links in the show notes as well, because there yeah. are some amazing uh, information and standards that other countries who are light years ahead of us have put together. And it can be that you I think a lot of us don't open the can of worms. I know I was afraid to open the can of worms with my team because I, I sat down uh, when I when I did this uh, exercise most recently, I sat down with my medical director and I was like, hey, look, I want to ask the team what stresses them out at work. And the, you should have seen the look on her face. It was like, why would you do that? Like, that's it. <laughs> you're going to open a whole can of worms. And, and, and I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, what can we do about it? And I said, well, if we don't know what is what is overwhelming, what is stressing them out, what feels d- emotionally dangerous to them? We can't do anything about it. We have to know what we're facing before we can come up with a plan of attack. And so I think in talking to co- in talking to colleagues, there's a lot of of fear because the second piece of this is it goes back to your illustration, which is so perfect of what do we do before we go into X-ray? We put on our our we put on our lead gown and we put on our thyroid shield. That's like a tangible ev- we know what that is. We know what the protection measures are. You could get a checklist on the internet of I've got to do these things, right? And so many of us are like, well, if our team tells us that euthanasia is emotionally taxing for them, what do I do about that? Because we can't stop. We can't just say we're never going to perform a euthanasia 100%. in our practice and anymore. And we can't say, and the same thing is we can't say that we're not going to take x-ray right you know and that's from a risk right. management the best thing to do is to get rid of it totally right but what if what if that's can't not, do that you know a possibility yeah. so then then we go down the you know is that right. how can we minimize it you know how can we ameliorate it and then you know the very last thing you know is is putting on the you know the lead lead get you know is actually right. the ppe is like you know from a physical point of view is the lowest thing so it's but what what can we do like can we can we work on, you know, for instance, with euthanasia, just throwing this out there, like, can we put something in the PIM system that's, that puts us an alert? Hey, by the way, but by the way, Dr. Smith has been scheduled, um, you know, three, three euthanasias, um, you know, just put an alert up there that maybe we need to just check in, um, you know, with Dr. Smith or, hey, I just noticed that Mary, Mary actually teched all three of those rooms. Um, you know, let's, let's sub out for somebody else. Yeah. Like, can, you know, can, can we do that? And that may be, and the difference is though, is that may also be, that may be something that actually is deep meaning and purpose for Mary. Right. So it may not be something that is true, but still, we won't know if we don't talk about it. Because we don't know, right. Because of the secondary trauma is that it may be, you know, the situation may have been, you know, not a peaceful transition of a, you know, an elderly pet or, you know, something right. of that nature. Right. Um, so it's just those things where we're like, hey, 
let's just be aware that these things cause harm. So let's check in, you know, and again, just, just like wearing the badge, you know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we know what the dose, dose, the dosimeter is, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, what do we, what's going on with our team? And that gets into a whole other thing is, are we measuring these things, which is a huge, I'm a huge proponent of, um, you know, checking in on the well-being, measuring the well-being, measuring those things is that if we're not measuring it, it's hard to manage it. And then if we're just throwing stuff up against the wall, anyway, we'll go, I'll right. go down the rabbit I was gonna hole say, that. I yeah. was going to say, we can't <laughs> measure it if we don't have a system. So, so right. I think that's, um, for, for you and I for today, that was kind of Bro, where we yeah. wanted to, to start yep. and stop, which is that it really is, can, it really can be as simple as asking the question. Um, and, and this is where you, you do you, you know, your team best. If you're a manager, a practice mm-hmm. owner, leader of your practice, asking them like, what, what is emotionally, what emotionally takes a toll on them? What, when yeah. they go home at the end of a day and they just feel like they want to cry or they're exhausted, why is, you know, is it, is it because of, um, interpersonal conflict or emotional things or the, like the workplace uh, things that you mentioned? Is it the nature of our business? Is it doing euthanasias? Is it, uh, you know, being, being in, uh, you know, surgery by themselves with nobody else or only one other person for the day? Like what, what are those situations? And then the second piece of it is, then what do then what do we do about it? And that's where yeah. so many of us freeze because it will feel like an elephant. I know I yeah. so I asked my team and the first time we did this exercise, I had I had twenty-two of them and I had probably fifty-two different answers <laughs> from yeah. the twenty-two of them. Right. Because everybody's individual and the things that impact them, they're filtering it all through their own lenses and their own experiences. And so to your point, that may have given like doing, you know, being involved in euthanasia might give life purpose to Mary. But for me or you, that might be a huge stressor for us when we do more than three euthanasias. So everybody on the team is going to be different. So I, I was sitting there looking at this giant list. And I remember thinking, well, I promised my partner that this was not going to go sideways and that <laughs> it's not going to backfire <laughs> on me. And I could just see the look on her face. We're looking at this giant list. And I said, great. Now we're going to talk about what is one thing off of this list that we can tackle. And so because I had already done it, I started like you with, okay, somebody had put up there, well, it really stresses me out when pets come in and they're in pain and the owners can't afford any care. And I said, you know what? I've got a solution for that. Here we go. And we laid out the system for the whole team. And I said, this is how we document it. This is how we, but never once will we deny pain control to a patient that comes in our doors because that is something that we can absolutely take care of every time. And the relief that the team experienced was great. And then I said, you know what, you guys, we're going to tackle this one thing. And then when we've got the system down and we're, then we're going to pick another. And we just worked our way kind of through the list. And it is that eating the elephant one bite at a time because it will feel overwhelming and you will have the individual pieces and some of it will be very individual. I had a member on my team who was, who was struggling with handling stress. And so part of it was, Hey, look, this is not a thing for everybody else. And I recognize that it's a big thing for you. And so your support is going to look like using our EAP and having access to some additional counseling to get some coping mechanisms for the stress of our job and and the reality of our job. Like it can be individual. It doesn't necessarily have to apply to the team as a whole. But I think only then when we define why is it happening and what can we do about it, can we move into your super happy place, which is 
How do we, how do we measure it? How do we keep tabs on it? And how do we get even better down the road? Right. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. this has been so much fun. <laughs> As always, <laughs> I I love uh, I love nerding out with you, and I'm I'm hoping that this was a a good conversation for our listeners, and that they weren't just like oh, Stephanie and Bill went down a rabbit hole because <laughs> we can do that sometimes. Um, I'm going to drop some links in the show notes for some of the resources that I know that you have. Um, and if you are a practice who's listening to this and you're like, where do I start? Even the outline that Stephanie just gave feels really overwhelming. I'll tell you the easiest place you can start is if you don't already have alternative payment options in your practice, and if you're not leveraging uh, the resources that have come out in the last couple of years on spectrum of care, or you're not uh, leveraging the giant resource that is pet health insurance, start there. <laughs> because those are, those are the easiest things that you can do. Because we know, and it has been studied statistically, the impact that that has on our teams. Yeah. And what I would say too is along those lines is, you know, is just recently the this website policy was set because that was one of mm-hmm. the things is we we did as a practice, like we we believed in it, but we did you know, well, which one would you recommend? And it's like, well, we You're talking about health insurance. Pet health insurance. But yeah, pet health yeah, insurance. Yeah. And, and so it was just, you know, that was one of those things like, hey, like here's this here's this option, like go, like, I don't have to necessarily come up with the answer, but I can say, Hey, here, here's the way to make the best decision, you know, for you as go, I think it's yeah. policy.com or some, some such, I, but yeah, like a, I, and if, I was going to say, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll drop it. I drop it in the show notes okay. because I'm a big, uh, I'm a big policy fan as well. Like I am so, I am so old that I remember when, uh, there used to be like the aha preferred provider list and <laughs> I'm totally dating myself yeah. now. And but I remember the relief that it had to be able to say, well, we don't like we our clients use a whole bunch of companies and we don't have one that we recommend, but you can go to this one place. And I yeah. I love that there is that resource in Vet Med again because I was really sad when it went away. Um because it takes the stress of, to your point, having to choose because there is no one again there's no one size fits all yeah, approach for anything right. in vet medicine like i've been saying this forever and pet health insurance is is n- no exception to that like there's the right thing for the family for the practice and all of those things combined and so to be able to send them to a neutral third party who has all of the information and be able to yeah. give them a resource location as a clinic takes that weight and that stress off of your team as well so yeah. um i love i love that you you brought that up, Phil, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Because yeah. like I said, if you're if you're stressed out over where to start, that's a great, uh, a great yeah. first place is with those those three tools. So um, thanks for joining me, Phil. This was wonderful. I had a great time. Oh, thank you. Thank and, you, Stephanie Goss. Uh, we will we will be back, I'm sure because you and I could have endless conversations. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fact. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Bye, everybody. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. 
Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a little bit different not having Andy and I together in the co-pilot seats, but hopefully you enjoyed Phil and I's conversation today. And before we go, I just want to take one more opportunity to say a huge heartfelt thank you to our friends at Care Credit, at Synchrony Financial, and at Pets Best Pet Health Insurance, because without them, we couldn't do this podcast. And there are a lot of people doing exciting and wonderful things for the veterinary profession as a whole, and we couldn't do them without them. So thank you all for making this episode possible and brought to you ad-free today. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you all next time.